We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon football is hitting the road to Salt Lake City. Ducks versus Utes, ESPN College Game Day. You've got everything you want in this game. We're giving our preview and prediction on today's episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. It is Wednesday, October 25th. A little bit, uh, a little bit cloudy here in Long Beach this morning, making me miss the Northwest, miss it every day. But man, do we have a game on our hands this week? Number eight, Oregon, number thirteen, Utah, Rice Eccles Stadium. And joining me to preview and predict this week's huge game is Spencer McLaughlin of Locked On Ducks, longtime guest. How we doing, man? Glad to have you here. Ready for game day, and bummed that I can't go. Dude, it's in your state too. I know, I know, I know. It's um, if Southern Utah football had their bye this week, that would have been cool. They had it during the Washington game, so that kind of worked out. But believe me, I wish it. I wish it would have been this week. Big game for the T Birds this week, though, against Abilene Christian. All right, right on. A little, little bit, a little bit of T Birds talk to to get us going here. But man, I am so so stoked. For this game, it's one that people have circled on their schedule every single year now. It's become one of the better rivalries in the Pac-12. And I don't know great. that I'd call it a rivalry. I think it's, I mean, just it's not a, a rivalry, matchup. but it's just like, yeah, it's always good ball. Yes. Um, it's better than some actual rivalries. Maybe we can put it that way. Um, but, man, we got Dan Lanning versus Kyle Whittingham. Uh, just the story of the Utes as snake-bitten as they've been by the injury bug. This year, there's so many storylines, but I think the one that I'm kind of fixating on, and it might be a little bit, um, a little bit cliche, or I don't know, some people might say jumping the gun, but the playoff implications, man, that this is what makes college football so great. We saw it last week with USC, two wins, and your season's not over. Two losses. But, sorry, two losses. Excuse me. Two Definitely losses, not wins. And you're. <laughs> Those weren't wins. Um, two losses, and that drastically changes the trajectory of your season. Oregon already has one against Washington, and uh, man, they they'd love to come out of Salt Lake with a win. 
Yeah, it's not overstating it to say that every week Oregon is playing for its college football playoff hopes. And you can still have a good, successful season if you have two losses in the regular season. You cannot, however, make the college football playoff. And that's the goal for this Oregon team. It's the goal for the program year in and year out with landing at the helm. He's shown himself more than capable of building a team that can get there and putting the team in position to be in the final four and have a chance to, you know, go after a national championship. But, you know, it didn't materialize in year one with a couple of losses down the stretch. And, you know, the Washington game, that one stunk. But Oregon still has its goals right in front of it in in control. Like they they control whether or not they'll get to the college football playoff. If they win out, if they win all five regular season games and win the Pac-12 championship game, there is no world in which they are left out of the college football playoff. That will not happen. It has never happened. It will not happen this year. A one-loss Power 5 champion has never missed the playoff, and with the Pac-12 as deep as it is, you can't have a conference champion that puts together a resume as strong as Oregon's would be if they were to win out. You would probably have a a win against Washington. It would basically be the 2014 season, which is you lose a close game, and then you play that team in the conference championship game, beat them, and that basically nullifies the loss. You win the conference title, 12-1, and one, and then you go and, and play in a New Year's Six game with a chance to go to the Natty. So it's all on the line right there. And, you know, Utah is playing for, for those hopes as well. I think Oregon has a better chance of, of getting there than the Utes, given the quarterback situation. Bryson Barnes is not to be slept on entirely. I do think there is a ceiling there and why I feel confident in, in the Ducks in this game on Saturday against the Utes. One that before the season, I said, if Cam Rising plays, I think Oregon loses. I think that would have been the case because I think if Cam Rising plays, this Utah team is freaky good. I mean, the fact that they're six and one right now is astonishing. It's nothing short of astonishing. They they are getting Max probably just thinking through all my locked on Pac-12 information. Bottom third quarterback play. I mean, I mean, it might be bottom bottom two quarterback play in the conference. I could make the case that Ashton Daniels at Stanford, when he's played, has been better than what. Utah has gotten from the quarterback position. Now, Bryson Barnes played very well last week, but I mean, you're talking, you're talking Cal, you're talking Stanford, you're talking Arizona State and Utah when you're talking about what you're getting from your quarterback. They're last in the Pac-12 in passing yards per game, and they're six and one. They're six, they're just a really good football team, well coached. They win a lot of games. It should be an awesome football game at Rice Eccles, which is going to be rocking on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and, and we're going to get into more of some of the specifics, right, both sides of the ball for both of these squads. But just one of the other points I wanted to make as we kind of set the stage for this game. Oregon fans have largely criticized Dan Lanning in the, the losses to Washington and Oregon State. I think that it's merited. You know, you're gonna, he said, you know, I'm a big boy. I can take the criticism, and it's come his way. One thing Dan Lanning does have to his advantage he has won the only game he's played against Utah, which I think it doesn't mean everything, but I think it means a lot. A 20-17 to 17 win over the Utes at home in Autzen Stadium against Cam Rising last year. Probably one of the best defensive performances that the Ducks had. So the Ducks have risen to the occasion when it comes to facing a physical and really well-coached Utah team. So that's part of the reason I think you have some confidence going into this game. But, man, can we just talk for a second about that Utah-USC game? Because I was watching it last weekend. Bryson Barnes and Sione Vaki had me just absolutely floored. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was awesome football. 
that run from Bryson Barnes to set up the field goal where I was like, okay, he's going to go out. He's going to go out. He's going to go. And then he cuts it back for like another 15 or something yards. I mean, it was amazing. I think that's just a super awesome testament to the job that Kyle Whittingham has done as a head coach and, and the, the resolve that the Utes have as a team, given all the injuries that they faced. I agree. And I think it's just a testament to what Utah is, which is just, as I said, a good football team. They just find ways to win. They can win a shootout. They can win a slugfest. They can win something in between. They can win with offense. They can win with defense. They mostly do it with both. They're good on special teams. They don't commit stupid penalties. They're well coached. They're disciplined. They don't blow coverages. Like they do all the little things well. And it's why they don't have to have arguably the biggest thing to win at a high level. And that's a great quarterback. You look at the best teams in college football. Look, a lot of them are getting by with pretty middling quarterback play. Like compared to what we've got in the Pac-12, the rest of the country, yeah, not very good at the quarterback position. Still, you have the best teams in college football oftentimes having to get – like very rarely do you see an Auburn in 2000 and – was it uh, 13 where Nick Marshall was their quarterback. He's playing safety in the Canadian Football League. Okay, He was Auburn's quarterback in the national championship game. That's an anomaly. You look at the guys who have played in the national championship games the last couple of years. Max Duggan, Stetson Bennett, Heisman finalist. Year before, Stetson Bennett against Bryce Young, number one overall pick. 2020, Mac Jones, first round pick against who they play. Who did they play in that national championship? Oh, oh Ohio State, Justin Fields. <laughs> the year before, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. Like, just keep going down the list. And you're going to see a lot of big time quarterbacks playing in these games, but. Utah doesn't need that to win at a high level because they do everything else so very well. And it does resemble Georgia. Not that they are the Georgia Bulldogs. They're not because they don't have the same caliber of talent up and down the roster that Georgia had. They operate in the same way in that Georgia has won however many football games and back-to-back national championships. And they've done it really without the, the the elite of the elite quarterbacks. Like Stetson Bennett was a really good college quarterback. He's not going to do anything but be a backup in the NFL. He's not, he's not a starting quarterback there. And they're able to do that because the team around him is so excellent. And that's why Georgia has been so good because he is put in a position to succeed because they have great receivers, because they have a great O-line, because they run the football, because their defense is elite. And that's what Utah does. They don't have the great receivers, but they run the football really well. They have a great offensive line. They're a physical football team. They don't make a lot of mistakes, and they've got a really good defense. Speaking about elite quarterback play, Oregon's got one of the best in the country. Yes, they do. I think that Bo Nix has continued to show up in really big ways for the Ducks throughout the year. Um, I'll be honest, I was a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I didn't realize that he was completing passes at the rate that he is. 78.45% 78.45% is just insane. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. You know, and, and it's not, to, I think we might want to just say that he's not like, you know, just dazzling you every week with like, wow, that's an NFL level throw, man. Like not many guys could do that, but Oregon hasn't needed him to do that. And I'm not trying to take away from what he's done, but just, you know, something worth mentioning. I think one of the biggest keys for Oregon this game is going to be establishing the run. And I think Bo Nix is going to play a part in that because he hasn't run very much this year. I think that's been by design to try to keep him healthy, keep him upright. But in a game like this against Utah, I think everything's on the table, and I think you're going to need the best version of Bo Nix that we've seen this year, and I think that's going to include using his legs. What do you think? I don't agree that he's going to have to run, 
he's run in some key moments this year, you know, notably against Texas tech. He had, uh, he was Oregon's leading rusher in the game. I think that the run game and RPO attack that Will Stein implements offensively has, you know, evolved and really crisped up since then. And I don't think that it's going to be like Justin Herbert in against Utah in 2019 in the Pac-12 championship game where, you know, he hadn't run all season and all of a sudden he's running. You might see it a couple times. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's a necessity and I don't think it's going to be part of the game plan. I think it's a secondary option. I think it's okay. We're not running the football. Well, now we need to introduce Bo as a runner because Utah is just controlling the line of scrimmage and winning the battle up front and everything like that. But I think Will Stein has had a lot of clever components to the RPOs this year that keep a defense stressed and stretched for uh, across both sides of the field. And I think that they've done a really good job just straight up winning in the run blocking department. Is this the best defense they've faced this year? Absolutely. No, no questions asked. It certainly is. I think this Oregon team is going to be up to that task. If they're not, maybe they will call on Bo to run a little more. But we saw the downside of that a season ago. And frankly, we, we, we've seen it a lot. You know, Darren Thomas once upon a time hurt his knee while running. Mariota got hurt, and that hindered the Ducks' offense. I, I like having a mobile quarterback so it's there if you need it. I'm not as big of a fan of relying on it in order to run the ball because I think that hamstrings you if, in the highly possible event, the quarterback gets hurt. Your your offense is now significantly less, and that's what I love about what Will Stein has done this season. He's using Bo Nix's mobility and quick release in the RPO in the RPO game, but he's using his mobility to get him out without putting him in harm's way. And the offensive line is also doing a great job of protecting him once again, only four sacks allowed through seven games. So I think that combination has been really good. And offensively, how are you going to argue with the, with the numbers that the Ducks have put up so far? They're, they're, they're over 500 yards a game. They're, I don't know what their points per game average. 47. It, it's what? 47. 47 points a game. Is it still that high? Yeah, I checked it this morning. That seems very that seems very high. But anyway, I know they got the 81-pointer against Portland State uh, to, tossed into the mix. But they are they are operating at a really high level. It hasn't been perfect, but no offense ever is. So I, I think the game plan is – Continue to do what you do well until Utah proves they can stop it and then go to your adjustments. I don't think you come out with a completely different game plan than what you've had the last several weeks, which has been remain balanced, get Bucky Irving his touches early and often, get him going, establish the ground game, and then open it up with Bo Nix. And, and I will say for establishing the run game, um, that wasn't really, I mean, they did it against Washington State. It just took them longer than yeah. I think people expected um, and part of that had to do with play calling. So I feel like they should try to take it to Utah. No, I don't think they, it. I don't think it had to do with play calling at all. I, I wanted more run. That's all I'm saying. I was like, why are they passing it this much when they can overpower? Washington I mean, in State? the. I mean, early in the early in the second half, I think not running the football on any of your first, you know, six or seven plays that results in a punt that was bad. But early in the game, they were running the football, trying to get it to Bucky Irving. Washington State was just thumping them in the early going. So they opened it up a little bit with Bo Nix and that kind of softened the defense. And then they found success running, running the football. But if you go look, you know, Oregon was trying to get the ball to Bucky Irving early in that football game. And Washington State just has some good defensive players and a good defensive coach. 
and they were prepared for what Oregon was going to do. And then Will Stein made some adjustments and they were able to find success. I, I, I didn't think that it was play calling. I'm very much n- not on the bandwagon. I'm not saying you're in this camp, but there is a pocket of Oregon fans that aren't thrilled with Will Stein and his play calling. And I'm firmly against that, that notion. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I've put out a couple of tweets and been critical at times. Maybe I'm not as hell-bent as some Oregon fans um, that are talking about that. Um, I think, you know, so, some of the screenplays, th- those are tough. I feel like I've come to le- look at them kind of like fourth downs. You like them when they work. You don't like them when they don't work. Um, so maybe I can I can pump the brakes a little bit there. But either way, I think it's going to be important for Oregon to est- establish the run against Utah. We can probably agree on that. It's going to obviously open more things on the offense. Um, to, to your point about Bo Nix and the RPO, I feel like the the limited use of him has been a good thing because when they have used it, it's been really open. I mean, right, you look at the Washington State touchdown run that he had, he just waltzed in like untouched. And a big part of that was because of the, the block from Kenyon Sadiq that sprung him. And I think that the tight ends have been really – underrated in terms of just, I just want to give them more praise for their their uh blocking this year been I think so it's been good. phenomenal and and I also think it kind of helps maybe cover a, a, some of the um I don't think shortcomings is the right way to put it but to kind of wrap up a little bit of the offensive talk I think the offensive line has been a little bit shaky at times not in terms of hindering the offense at large but you know you have some some pre-snap penalties some illegal man downfield some some holding so I think when you look at the hostile environment that Oregon's going into, Oregon's offensive line is going to have to show up and play some really clean, disciplined football uh, because that's what's obviously going to help them put up some points. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I love that you shouted out the tight ends. You talk about Kenyon Sadiq's block on the touchdown. T. Ferg on the uh, first touchdown that Bucky Irving had, by the way, just pancakes a guy to clear the hole. And he does that routinely. Patrick Herbert had two pancake blocks on Saturday and was getting love on uh, get up on ESPN from Jeff Saturday because he had a, there was a, a, the end around to Gary Bryant jr. Herbert, you know, acts like he's going on the counter reverses back. out. was a really well executed play. You had the oh, two yeah. blockers in front of like 15 yard gain. Really, really well done. And Herbert goes out and levels somebody. And then there's the check down to Bucky Irving that goes for a touchdown. And he just Casey Kelly too, even he was in the eye and yep. he, yep. he kicked the guy mm-hmm. out as a fullback. So yep. shout exactly out to him right. and Drew Merriger. Yep. On yep, on 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 the play that uh, on the, on that first touchdown that I mentioned where T Ferg had the pancake, Casey Kelly's the lead blocker. You know he's moved into that H back slot, and Patrick Herbert is the number two tight end. Goes where Montevall went last season, and he's you know transferred to UCLA and is doing really well, which doesn't surprise me because I always thought he was a good player. But Casey Kelly has also had a really really nice role this year in, in key blocking situations and two tight end sets. And I, I think they've done a really, really good job uh, helping to spring these Oregon running backs free in the ground game. And Bucky Irving and Jordan James, those, those two are just the total package. They are the complete and total package. They can catch the ball. They run aggressively. They make guys miss. They've got breakaway speed. There's, there's really nothing those two guys can't do. I, I think it's a really, really fantastic running back tandem. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bucky Irving is, I don't even know if you want to say finding his stride, but he just played his best game of the season and it's right ahead of a huge matchup. So I think it's great that he's catching fire. Jordan James has looked great. Spencer, we could talk a whole lot more about the offense, but we only have so much time. And I think we have to talk about this Oregon defense and Utah's offense because they got some really intriguing matchups. Bryson Barnes, the former walk-on, just having the season that he's having is, is just what makes college football so great. You got to come and play your best ball every single week. And Utah is going to make sure that they hold Oregon to that standard. I don't think there's much of a question about that. But for me, man, I will admit I only watched that uh, Utah game. That was probably the first full Utah game I had watched last week. Um, and, man, Sione Vaki stole the show. And I think this is the best backfield that Oregon's faced so far this year. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. It is deep. And when, when you look at what they've done this year running the football – it's been the foundation of their offense because, you know, defensively, yeah, they're really, really good. And that's why they've won some games. You look at the the UCLA game, for instance, they won that game because of their defense. Offense scored seven points, defense scored seven points. They won the game 14 to seven uh, at home. And I, I think that Vaki and uh, Jaquin and Jackson both are really good running backs and ball carriers. You know, Vaki is just a football player. Like he's if you wanted to go just like randomly, and I know some people do, onto an anti-Colorado rant, why does Travis Hunter get more hype as a two-way player than Sione Vaki? That probably changes a little bit. I didn't bit. know about him until last week. Straight yeah, up. and that probably changes a little bit this week on college game day. He's got to be a focal point. But, you know, everyone thinks, oh, great two-way players. Oh, yeah, Travis Hunter. And he's a great one. Don't don't get me wrong. Sione Vaki is just as good. I, I mean, the guy is a bona fide stud. And these two guys, if you give them, they're physical. Like they, they look like Utah running backs, big, burly guys, good speed. Burly. I don't think, yeah, they like, are. I like that word. <laughs> they're, I mean, like they're, they're, they look like Utah farm boys out there. That's what they are. Like they're just built to run through people, to be physical, to pick up short yardage and possess the football and help out their quarterback. That's what Utah football is all about. They want to punch you in the mouth, and these two guys both do that and and don't sleep on their ability to make big plays in the ground game and in the passing game as well. So I think they're really talented and it's going to be a great test for for Oregon's defense, specifically the linebackers. 
I think that this is a great opportunity for Justin Jacobs to show that his his strong performance last week against Washington State is indicative of what he's capable of, not just what he is. Like he had a great game last week. He was good in coverage. He laid a big hit on Cameron Ward. He had a run stop on third and two. Like he he did everything really well. He had a sack as well. Did a lot of really good things. That's the sort of player you need in the hole. Because when Jaquindon Jackson or Sione Vaki are coming downhill, you better be ready to pop somebody because they are ready to pop you at all points in time. I'm really glad that you mentioned Justin Jacobs, Spencer. I don't know if you saw it, but I wrote a story yesterday. Justin Jacobs joins this Oregon defense at the perfect time. You could argue against Washington would have been a little bit better, but I think it's kind of hard to throw him in against a top, a top five team now. Um, you know, that's just like kind of right into the fire. I think the linebackers are going to be more important against Utah than they were against Washington. Sure. Sure. So I think that just kind of furthers my point a little bit. You know, you have him debut against Washington State, a little bit of a tune-up game, right? Just kind of get right game, gets a sack, gets a big run stuff. I think that's exactly what you want to see from a linebacker that comes in from Iowa that had some big expectations. And I think also, especially with the the physical run game, you're going to need some of that with with, uh, this matchup against the Utes. I wanted to have a quick note about just, I think, how Utah is kind of, I don't know if overhauled is the right word for the running back position, but as a recruiting guy, I'm just looking at this roster makeup, and then when I look at that running back room, you got guys from Florida, you got guys from Texas, Chris Curry was an LSU transfer, I know he got banged up, but I just think that that is a position overhaul that has maybe gone a little bit under the radar, but that's just another shout out to Kyle Whittingham and, and the job that he's done as a head coach. And I think I also heard that Sione Vaki might be trending towards playing mostly offense. I think that was a quote that I saw come out of that uh, that USC win. But um, let's let's talk a little bit more about Bryson Barnes and this skill talent for the Utes because they're banged up at tight end. I mean, they're banged up at basically every position, I feel like, to some degree. But the, the tight end spot is always one that's been a calling card for them, and, and it doesn't seem like they're going to have that necessarily against the Ducks with Brent Keithy getting shut down for the year. I think that was one of the other updates that we got. Um, but I think Oregon's DBs are going to match up well with, with Utah's wide receivers. Um, they're going to be without Micah Pittman as well. He was a former Oregon Duck. So I think that he's not just, a big part of their offense though. He, yeah, he, no, he really hasn't he ever been. That was just a guy that kind of came to mind. I think Mikey Matthews is one of the receivers that is maybe worth a mention here. Yeah, Mikey, Mikey Matthews, Devon Vele, Money Parks. Those are those are your targets that Utah is going to be looking at in in the passing game. And they will throw it to the running backs as well. Sione Vaki was involved uh, on a couple of wheel routes last week, and Bryson Barnes threw some really, really nice balls. And, um, you know, that's a route that Justin Jacobs defended very well in a sequence last week, and Oregon has to be prepared for that. Yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna give them a couple you know a couple of different looks. I think I was doing a pod yesterday with some Utah guys, and and they were talking about Bryson Barnes not being maybe the best quarterback as far as going through progressions. I think part of that maybe comes with just the the comfortability that he has right now as the team's starting quarterback. Um, and to that point, I, I thought that one of the keys for for Utah in terms of what they're going to be able to do to attack the Oregon defense. It's just getting some quick completions, some quick passes, get him in a groove, build his confidence. That said, if Oregon can get after him, maybe force him to hold on to the ball a little bit longer with some good coverage downfield, I think that could go a long way in the Ducks just slowing down this Utah offensive attack. That that usually is the case with most teams, right? This isn't groundbreaking analysis right now on the, on the Ducks Dish podcast necessarily, but 
given this matchup, we know how important quarterback play is going to be. So if you can kind of try to shut him down a little bit in that regard, maybe you make Utah a little bit more one-dimensional, maybe a little bit more predictable with that strong run game they have. Well, this is a Utah offense that has had peaks and valleys this year, and they're at a peak. They've put up 34 points in back-to-back games. They played Cal and USC. USC has an abysmal defense, and Cal is not exactly a powerhouse, though they're a respectable football team. So they have found a groove with Bryson Barnes, with Sione Vaki as the Wildcat quarterback to run the football in there. That has all been very positive for Utah. This is the same team, though, that the two weeks prior put up a total of 14 points offensively. They put up seven at home against UCLA, and Oregon's defense is a lot closer to UCLA's than Cal's or USC's, and they put up seven on the road against Oregon State. And they got better, I think, when Bryson Barnes got into the game. I think they are better with Bryson Barnes there. Bryson Barnes, by the way, has never lost a college football game in which he has started started like we're talking is, about Tyler Shuck again the start is the key finished. word <laughs> but yeah, yes started, the yeah, similarities yeah. the similarities are abundant there and I've uh, on on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Ducks Thursday's show I'm talking about the similarities between those two and that is one of them I think that when you look at what Barnes has done he does he's capable of doing enough we have also seen him mightily struggle this is a Utah team that went on the road against Baylor and only put up 20 points against a pretty average Baylor team. This is a Utah team that has had legitimate offensive questions. At one point in time this year, I wasn't generating this, but Utah people or people who cover the team or pundits or whoever were talking about how Utah's offensive problems go beyond not having Cam rising. And now after the last couple of weeks against a couple of weaker defenses, they've made adjustments. They've made improvements. Absolutely. I don't think this is entirely resolved. I still think there is a ceiling there. Bryson Barnes, once upon a time this year, was benched for Nate Johnson, who then got benched again for Bryson Barnes. That happened because they thought that Nate Johnson would give them the best chance to win. Then they had to go back in that. I question whether this Utah offense can really get going. They don't have an all-conference player offensively on the perimeter with Brant Keithy out and Thomas Yasmin, their backup tight end who's solid. He's been out as well. I don't know if he's back, but I don't think Keithy is. And none of uh, Money Parks or Devon Vele or any of those guys, like Sione Vaki and Jaquinda Jackson, those are the guys that scare you. If I'm Oregon in this game, I'm loading the box and saying, I don't want you to run the football. I dare you to throw the football. And hopefully Oregon's got their cornerbacks healthy. If you've got Kyrie Jackson and Jaleel Florence, and you're putting in Triquez and Dante Manning as your other two corners, I feel good about those guys against this Utah offense, and I think that should be the game plan, is stop the run at all costs and make Bryson Barnes beat you with his arm. If you do that, Oregon's in a good position. Which I feel like Oregon's you know, told their opponents to do before, and I feel like so many times over the years we've seen you know kind of backups or Oregon's kind of been susceptible to some, you know, sneaky quarterback play, but I totally see your point. That's what I would do too. I agree with you. Just to kind of wind it down a little bit here, Spencer, on the show, just a couple other points. It sounds like Utah's offense is streaky and they can be had. They're they're getting some good momentum right now. They're at home where they play their best football. That's usually how it goes. Um, but Oregon's got some serious depth, and I think that's one of the biggest advantages that they carry into this Utah matchup. 
I think that the depth that they have at the linebacker spot in particular is going to be really big, especially with Justin Jacobs coming back. And then along the defensive line, you're going to be able to rotate in guys, which is so crucial in a physical, grueling matchup like this as it's you know setting up to be. So I think that's big. And then, like you said, getting Kyrie Jackson back, uh, I think should be really good. Kind of a, an interesting, I wouldn't say scratch, but you know he warmed up last week and then he didn't play. So Nico Reed and uh, Triquez Bridges, Dante Manning, those guys were, were all kind of thrown more into the mix here. So Oregon's got a couple of question marks themselves. They're not a perfect team, but I think they match up really well with the Utes. And this is one of those games where it's like Dan Lanning built his roster the way he has to win games like this. Yeah, and you know, Utah is second to last in total offense in the Pac-12 this year, and they are second in total defense this season, allowing about 295 yards per game. And their point totals offensively have gone like this, 24-20, that was against Florida and Baylor, then 31 against Weber State, which is an FCS opponent. Again, not exactly a lot when you look at what other teams do against FCS teams, like Oregon put up 81 on Portland State. Utah put up 31, but held them to seven. UCLA, the offense scored seven. The team scored 14. And by the way, Utah is the best pick six team in the country year in and year out. They always have, a, they've had, they've had at least one pick six in like 17 straight seasons or something. I don't remember the that? exact number, um, but I mean, they, they have pick sixes every year. So that's not uncommon. Seven at Oregon state. And then 34, the last couple of weeks, they've clearly found something. I just don't know if they have found enough to go up against this Oregon defense that I think overall is in a good spot. And I know they allowed a lot of yards to Cam Ward last week, but Cam Ward was making some NFL throws. And when guys are making NFL throws, there's not a damn thing any team in the country, Georgia included, can do about it. Go look at that college football playoff semifinal game last year. What was the final score? 48-45? The one Uh, against Ohio State? Yeah, when C.J. Stroud was going going crazy. 42-41. There you go. Even, even, Even that Georgia defense. When you're playing an NFL quarterback who's making big time throws with good receivers, even Georgia gives up 41 points. So it happens. Um, I'm not worried about defense much as long as they stop the run. Then I think Oregon wins the football game. All right. A little bit of a little bit of questionable time management on my part, but we got to get to these predictions before I get you out of here. Apologies, Spencer. You're all uh, good, I'm going to roll it with mine real quick. I wrote it this morning. It's over on Ducks Digest right now. You can go read it. I'm going to go with 31 24 Oregon. Um, I think that, you know, you got a lot of stole my prediction. I got. I got a lot of respect for Utah and what they're doing. Um, but like we said, I could maybe see it being a little bit of a bigger margin. It really just depends on how Oregon shows up in a hostile environment and uh, what Utes can, what the Utes can do offensively. But I think that this is going to be a win for Dan Landing, a statement win. I could see it going either way, honestly. But I think that uh, I think that Oregon's going to show up, especially given the implications. You know, they focus on each game, the one that's in front of them, but you know, I think you've got to put some faith in Dan Lanning having this team ready to go. 31-24 Ducks. I've got 31-20. I think the Ducks win. I have a hard time seeing Oregon's offense, even against a great Utah defense, being held under 30. USC, with help from special teams and a pick six, was able to you know put up 32 points. I think Oregon's offense is better. They've been running the football more consistently, whereas USC has abandoned the run. And the Ducks offense is just in such a good groove. You know, I don't think this game comes easy. I, I really don't. I think Oregon, though, is able to win. And I, I just do not trust that Utah offense. I think you see something closer 
to what they did against UCLA and Oregon State, though I think they're better than that. I do not see them going over 30 points. If they do, I'd be disappointed in Oregon's defense, even on the road. So I'll go 31-20. I think the Ducks get it done. All right, there we go. I think we're both kind of setting the stage for a battle in Salt Lake this weekend. We got Ducks and Utes at 1230 on Fox. Spencer, before we get out of here, let the people know where they can find you and all your great work. I'm at Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter and at Locked on Ducks as well. And I host Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12 Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And I got to shout out the T-Birds as well. I'm the voice of the Southern Utah Thunderbirds play-by-play. They play Abilene Christian this Saturday. That game starts 30 minutes before the Duck game. So you can tune in, listen to me for a while, uh, and then go go watch the Ducks. And I'll be watching during uh, commercial breaks. So that's uh, that's that's the way it goes in, in this line of work. But always good to come on with you, Max. There you go. There you go. You guys, make sure you tap in with Spencer and support all the awesome work he's doing. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at mtorresports. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Torres and read all of my written work covering Oregon football and recruiting over on DucksDigest.com. But until next time, a big thank you to Spencer for coming on and uh, hope everybody has safe travels out to Salt Lake if you're going to the game. And uh, until next time, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.